Derek Brooks' 14-year career in the NFL was cemented with a Super Bowl win and a Pro Football Hall of Fame induction. You know he was the NFL's Man of the Year in 2000. The Florida native built his legacy on family and community. Brooks took me back to the beginning of his career as a Buccaneer. Got here in, in 1995, just doing small things and participating with the Buccaneers and all our community outreach. That was really laying a foundation uh, for me. And it really hit 96 when Coach Dungey came here. Yeah. Uh, I've told the story a thousand times that he talked about how we was going to change our franchise by how we went about our business in the community. And for a guy like me, it didn't sit well. <laughs> you know, I won't talk about winning football games. Mm -hmm. But I got the message, and it started really Two kids needed tickets. I saw fumbling around the old stadium and I asked them if they wanted to go to the game. And these two young men said yes, and I made a deal with them. If we win or lose, you make sure you watch, you know, that white SUV right there, make sure nothing happens to it. <laughs> <laughs> so those two, they guarded my truck so well, my brother was, had a hard time trying to get by them. <laughs> they, they touched him oh up. Oh my God, they was like, no, Brooks told us you're not coming in here. So uh, again, fast forward, I just asked those young men where they come from. And they said they came from the College Hills area. And I said, hey, invite some more friends next week. Maybe you all guys will come and we'll win. And uh, I'm a witness, be careful what you ask for. In terms of that with God. So it was about 200 people showed up <laughs> <laughs> that following Sunday. And the Bucks of Kennedy, like, Derek, who are these people that said you was getting the ticket? I mean, it was. It was some control. Oh, chaos. we were Derek. Yes, it went. Some of probably, I don't even know. But uh, what that really just opened for me is I got them all tickets and I, you know, say, hey, where do y'all guys come from? And they say, hey, just straight down Martin Luther King. Yeah. About 20, between 22nd and 29th, that's where we live in that area. And I went and found out it was an area that Gary Sheffield, uh, Doc Good, they grew up in. And it was a boys, girl, boys and Girls Club there, the Ollie Evans Center. Mm. And that's why I really started my program of giving back. So uh, I've been going there ever since. And that's really set, like I say, set the, the footprint of what Dare Brooks Charities is today. That's incredible. You, and, and, and I find it um, a bit humorous. You say, Coach, I, I'm trying to, which gap do I need to shoot here to make these tackles? Who am I reading? And he yes. says, get into the community. Yes, that's what Coach Dungeon talked about. Uh, at first team meeting, he, honestly, it was very little about what we were going to do on the field. Yeah. Now, he talked about, hey, we're going to have a disciplined approach, how we go about practice, those subtle things. But for me, as a new head coach and a man that's only lost four games in four years, I wanted football. So how are we going to turn around a team that just lost nine games last year? That's what I wanted to hear. Right. But my spirit just kept drawn to, even in practice, I kept going back to what he was saying. Like, okay, we're in the community, how we treat people. And I went to visit with him, Frank, out to practice. I said, Coach, I just got to be honest with you. Uh, I love that you're here, but what you said in the team meeting, it didn't, we didn't talk about football. He right. said, exactly. He said, I talked about life. He said, Derek, here's how 
we're going to change. And I could tell it was bothering you. I could tell that. And he said, here's my message. He said, if we go about our business and serve the community, we'll never lose a game because we're fighting the game of life. And the team will win the trust of the community, and the community will trust us. And we'll win our fair share of games on the field. He said, that's what's more important to me. I said, wow, I got it, coach. I got it. And he had you from that moment on. Not that you weren't riding with him initially, but that probably bonded you guys. It was locked in. I said, I got it, coach. I really do. I got it. And the visual that I saw as I walked down that hallway was Leroy Selman. (sighs) That's the next phone call I made was to Mr. Selman. My goodness. And just talked to it just talked about how how to go about this. You know, you've been here for years. You know you're you're royalty in this town. But you never really had a franchise that had a head coach that supports what you've done. I believe we have that now. And the journey was really started. Did you find yourself as a better man having come in contact with Coach Dungy? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you are very, one of the very uh, few players to say he went from coach, mentor, to now personal friend, confidant. And to still have him here in this area, it further cemented that conversation about serving this community. He could have retired anywhere and his, raised his family anywhere in the world. But he never left Tampa, even when he was relieved of his duties. He still kept his family here, his home here, and when he retired, he's back here doing more things. So to me, yes, it made me a, a better man, uh, but at the same time, I'm just trying to follow that example of being an influence to, to help others. I mean, matter of fact, uh, Coach Dungey went with me on my, he was, he was so involved with what I was doing. I took him on my first trip to Africa, mm. <laughs> with South Africa with kids. Yeah. And then I said, Coach, here's, here's, you know, you've got me on this journey. I want you to go with me and experience this. I say, and besides, we can't start a training camp unless, you, unless you're here. So, <laughs> so I get off. Yes. Sorry, I'm with, I'm with you. <laughs> I love it. So uh, after our sub after our sub OTAs, he gave me this wife Lauren, and I just wanted the kids to be around what I was getting every day, so they could see another voice in this world of football, but someone that's playing a bigger game, and I wanted the kids to be exposed to that. I love it. Um, is this everything you thought it would be when you got drafted? Did you did you have a big plan, or did no. you know what you were getting into? No, no, Frank. Um, you know, sometimes when I, I'm, I'm by myself, uh, it's emotional for me, whether I drive by our school, uh, Brooks to Barlow Collegiate High School that I founded with Mr. DeBarlow and his family to our charity programs that the Juvenile Justice Trust us with these kids, with uh, Daryl Daniels is over to Rice of Passage program with my wife is over that program, Carol. It's it's humbling. And I just thank God that I do my best not to disappoint him. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
in my walk, in my vision. No, I never thought about this big of an impact. I just wanted to start serving. And I think, and I know for a fact God has his hands on this because Frank, I could not even tell you what those two young men looked like that I first gave tickets to. I couldn't today if they walked up to me. That's why I know it was spirit-led, it wasn't Derek-led. And I just tried to do my best even today. And, and yes, I, I think by those kids coming into my life, they always tell me how they feel I saved them. And I said, no, I feel you guys saved me because you gave me people, opportunities to be accountable to every single day. That was bigger than the game of football. And that's what I continue to hold dear uh, in my life. And so, Derek Brooks Charities, what, what are we doing today? What aren't you doing? <laughs> what, are, what, are, what are we involved in? Oh, man, we, we don't have enough time to talk about all, all the things. Been but busy, busy. Yes, but, you know, we... we uh, coming up now on our signature fundraiser uh, here in October, and that's uh, Dare Brooks Charity Celebrity Golf Tournament that uh, going over, I think, 20-plus years now is our primary fundraiser that funds all the things that we do. Uh, Frank, I have a goal, and I'm, I'm very meticulous in this goal, that 94 cents out of every dollar that comes into this foundation is yeah. back into the community and programming. And I... I really, if an opportunity comes to us that doesn't serve that, I've walked away because I want people to know that their money can be spent the right way. And I want to continue to earn that trust mm. in the community that this is what your dollar is going to do. It's changing lives every single day. So our programs, obviously, it ranges in terms of the youth education space. Now, I... I do stay in my lane. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not one that's gonna sit and tell you I'm an expert in in the in our elderly population. I partner with people that are, and that's why I say the football discipline. You see that in the leadership of my foundation because I, I try to be great at what my passion is, and that is kids and youth education, and that's what we program around. And as I say, from our school, uh, most people see that as the signature. Uh, program of myself and the DeBarlo Foundation, but we have Darebrook Charity Youth Programs through our partnership with the Attorney General's Office and the Department of Juvenile Justice. And that's, you know, as I take a couple seconds to talk about that, that's a program that really going all the way back to all of our Attorney Generals, uh, starting with Pam Bondi, that they trust us to help kids make a second right decision. Yeah, they made a wrong decision, but they're trusting us to help these kids get back on the right path and not just label them and putting them in, in jail and other situations. Mm -hmm. But hey, Derek, your program is going to change these kids. And they're trusting us. And, and we partner with them. And I, again, respect them so much for allowing us to come in kids' lives when it gets to be a second, sometimes third chance. And, and we do. I mean, we do an awesome job led by Daryl Daniels. Our Rice of Passage program is pretty much centered around our young ladies, and I said my wife Carol uh, runs that program with a, a lot of other strong uh, female leaders that's basically enhancing uh, these young ladies and empowering them. I love as it. As they enhance them to this world today. So that's really focusing on 
young ladies and youth. And then we have our financial literacy, uh, Brooks Bunch, I call it boot camp, but it's centered around a partnership with Fifth Third and financial literacy. So I go and talk to these kids now about wealth empowerment when they, you know, sixth, seventh grade. Let's not be afraid to talk about it because yeah. this is your vision, this is your future. You know, you're a millionaire, start with a millionaire mindset. You know, I tell them all the time, hey, I, I started as a hundred there. You know, hey, I got a hundred bucks. I was I'm rich. a loose change in there. Right? Yeah, I'm, right. I'm, I'm picking up every loose change trying I can. Trying to make it, yeah. But I was telling just about developing that discipline and hoping those disciplines bleed into the everyday life. And then our partnership, obviously, uh, in all the Boys and Girls Club and providing extra services, which is sending more around tutoring. And uh, I tell you, I could tell you a thousand stories, but some of the real joys when you see kids that have come through our program yes. and now they are running programs and we get a chance to support their programs that they're running because they're giving back to the community. Again, that's what I thank God that I do my best not to disappoint him. I've got to ask, you know, the parallels between uh, being an athlete who everyone is watching uh, and you say you can't be afraid to discuss this or whatever it may be. In this case, we're talking about financial literacy. You made a name for yourself initially, professionally, by approaching the un uncomfortable. Yes. You had to approach the problem. You had to take it head on, mm -hmm. right? The problem was the other team. And then if it wasn't done properly, you had film sessions. You had yes. to review it. We got to keep approaching the uncomfortable so we can get it right. Yes. There's a connection between that and real life, whether it's financial literacy or any topic out there that people may not be comfortable approaching. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of working with young men and young women, because that, that topic stays relevant every single day, and that's what we're dealing with. You know, obviously, what this country has gone through the last couple of years has brought an educational piece to all of us. At the same time, we've been dealing with that at our foundation for the last 15 years and bringing the, the community and police relationships together. Now, what were we doing on the grander scale as this nation was open? No. But here in the Bay Area, we were doing that and connecting those with kids. So any topic that these young men, these young ladies come across, that's how I've earned their trust, to be honest with you. My yes is yes, my no is no, and if something's uncomfortable, we're gonna, we're gonna go in and find what that connection point is in whatever point in your life. Yes, I had to get these kids to be in, that's, I, I guess, that's how everything exploded with DBC. You know, from kids being on their first airplane trip to Fort Lauderdale, they, had, they were uncomfortable flying. Right and they had to get used to I wanted to bring all these elements to them outside of those walls of those projects that they were living in. And yes, it was uncomfortable for them to, whether it's fly, get extra tutoring, go to colleges, see themselves beyond those walls was an uncomfortable vision that started, but it became a norm. And that's the programming that I wanted to attack uh, with these kids and give them those first experience turn those uncomfortable conversations and situations to comfortable conversations and situations because this is going to be you. See yourself as a success. It's as simple as 
wearing a belt for the young men. Pull your pants up, wear a belt. Let's get comfortable wearing a belt mm. because you're going to be a professional. You're going to be in environments where you want people to see a success story before you even open your mouth and what that visual look like. Mm -hmm. I say, is it misjudging? Absolutely. But sometimes that's what we deal with in life. And let's control some of the narrative by how you look in your image. So it's just, for me, bringing all those things together in different components because I don't want to be over their heads. I want to meet them where they're at, but give them information that they can process and, and not only just process, but go and make action points from the education that they learn. Which was easiest, becoming a leader of men or leading the youth? Oh, it was, to me, it was one fed the other. Yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, I feel, I feel greater joy right. in, in leading young people because they're giving you and trusting you with an innocence that I never, ever want to take for granted. I get joy leading young men because there's a challenge to support a behavior and trying to seek a result and build a relationship with that. So every, each situation has a space in my life and I, I bring joy or get joy uh, out of one. Now, sometimes, you know, dealing with kids a little bit more challenging <laughs> in some regards with patience. But it's the same thing leading young men too, man, because they can wear your patience too. <laughs> but as, I, as we started, you know, talking about it, um, when you're leading the foundation, it's going back to what Coach Dungey said. Uh, I don't never lose a game because we're fighting a game of life. And that's a game I want to stay undefeated. I love it. I, you know what? The closest I can come to that huddle in the NFL is through you. And so you've won a Super Bowl. You're, you know, a Hall of Famer. Take us inside the mindset. I know you can't speak for anybody, but inside <laughs> the mindset of uh, a Tom Brady who is leading men right now. And he speaks and people listen. Yes. But that is... You know, it seems like, oh, it's simple. No, it's, it can't be simple. And that is a lot of weight on one's shoulders, no matter how cool and calm they may appear yes. on the surface. I think, you know, you establish the difference between leader and leadership. You know, leadership is a role. Leader is a person. And that person has to be fitting for that role. And in this particular case, uh, you know, Tom, he had earned a lot of equity uh, by coming here a few years ago that people wanted to gravitate towards that championship DNA and what that mystique was. So, yes, it was hard because people had to see him doing it, but they were a lot more welcoming because we in Tampa hadn't seen that in years. So it was a thirst for that, not just from the players, but everything. Owners all the way down wanted to see what this, bringing him in this championship aura about him and what he'd accomplished, they were very open to that. And thankfully for Tom, he was very giving of that and wanting to meet the challenge of, hey, I just left a situation for almost 20 years or plus, whatever it was, and coming here, how can I reinvent myself and influence a different group of young men in the organization to still be successful? Mm -hmm. So it was a motivating factor in his regards that really, really helped. 
Now, on a day-to-day -day basis, as I say <laughs> for myself, I just accepted the role when it, when it was presented to me. Uh, I didn't rush the process for me to be a leader. I waited my time and learned from the Hardy Nickersons and the Lonnie Marts and Martin Mayhews of the world to, hey, when it's time to lead this team, here's how I'll do my footprint. And I give a lot of credit to John Lynch as well, because John was an older player uh, than some of us younger guys that was coming in. But John knew and sensed that I was going to be the leader, and he accepted that. Mm. And man, we talk about that. Our, our friendships, you know, today is, is so solid, one of my best friends. But you needed that type of attitudes in order for me to succeed in the leadership role. So I accepted as a leader. It's a tough job. Uh, man, you getting phone calls all times of the night. You don't know what they're going to be. You Derek's not here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll just, yeah. I'll just sum it up as this. When you go into the mindset of a leader, I always like to say a leader has to be a servant leader. It's really about serving uh, and giving the glory to everybody else. And I'm perfectly fine with that. I, you know, the next question I must ask, which we were discussing offline, you, you didn't presume that you, after all that work you had put in, uh, in the locker room and on the field, that you were going to be inducted oh. on the, <laughs> the, the hall. You didn't know that that yellow jacket, <laughs> and look at you rocking the yellow today. Well, I'm with a gold jacket. Go, oh my, gold. Yeah, please. Gold. Now, that, that's the, you know. Gold. I stand corrected. <laughs> <laughs> and it came with the bus. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, you know, the Hall of Fame process is, is one that it was stressful. Uh, no, I, I know what my football resume said. Yeah. But I took nothing for granted in terms of assuming I'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, it was players before me that we talked about that. I felt resumes were just as good, if not better than mine, did not get in on their first try. And to see it happen, to see how, in some regards, special it is, but at the end of the day, it's, if you're blessed with that at the end of your career, it doesn't matter, first ballot, third, whatever number it is, you're part of this team. And I'm, I'm so ready and working so hard to get our man Rondé Barber because I feel he's more than deserving mm -hmm. to be a Hall of Famer because his resume says one of the greats of this game. And this game could not, this story of this game could not be told without him being a part of it as a Gold Jacket member in a Pro Football Hall Absolutely. of Famer. So no, it's not. I didn't take it take it for granted. Didn't make any assumptions. I you know got a lot more gray hairs sitting there waiting in 2014. But uh, to honestly, um, you know, every year I go back to the moment when uh, David Baker told me, and it's more one of the more surreal feelings uh, that you can get that. You know, I just immediately thought about all the teammates and men that I played with yes. since you were eight years old, that I was a part of their team. Their efforts had to go into this moment for me. And the only way I could say thank you is to say thank you. And But I definitely realized it was 
being a gold jack, being a Hall of Famer is always bigger than the person itself. I love it. I, you know, you're a humble guy. But tell me, were you going to bed in this gold jacket? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I worked well, for them. I'm not, right not going to say I slept in it, but uh, when, uh, when you first, again, the symbolism yeah. of, of what that gold jacket represents. Every year I go back to Canton, I, I get a different version of what it is. You know, yeah. it, this I said this past year to see Jim Brown, Oh, you know, back at Canton. And to sit there, Jim knows your name. Yeah. And he's my teammate. Yeah. <laughs> As a pro football Hall of Fame. That's a heck of a roster. It, it is. And it just, it humbles me every time I go around and be part of the greats. And like I can say it was a Jim Brown moment, you know, this past summer in Canton and, and spending time uh, with him to, like, wow, you know, to Marshall Falk. You know, great friend of mine, and chasing that guy yeah, around. Yeah, and for years, you know, we was playing golf, and in the whole golf round, we just talk about our classic battles yeah. between our teams, and talk about plays that no one would ever would never make a highlight, but it's in our minds of what happened in that game, and just to share those those rivalry moments. That's what you, you know. You appreciate sure uh, about playing this game, those relationships. 2014, right? Yes, 2014. So I, I went and visited the Hall of Fame. I used to work up in Cleveland. I moved here about two years ago. Now, you mentioned Mr. Brown. <laughs> the busts from back then yeah. versus, <laughs> you know, versus now. <laughs> they, they do right by you. I saw your bust. Yes, they, they do. Accurate. They they. They nailed me pretty accurate, oh, uh, yeah. man. But those guys got a tough job. You got to decide, you know, because me, I played half my career with no hair on my head, right. ball, and I played with hair, what I want. But uh, I think they did me justice by my bus. I have no complaints. I love it. I love it. And, and final question for me, I mean, getting that Super Bowl ring, what was that like for you? Oh, uh, getting that ring, I go back to the, the Super Bowl moment for me, actually, was a parade when we got back. Yeah. Everything else was so football driven on that ride for me. Even after the game, you know, I'm celebrating back in the stadium, seeing the stadium feel when we got back. But the next day, I guess I had a Super Bowl aha moment in downtown Tampa when I saw all the Bay Area just coming to support us and finally feeling like we would get our respect here in the Bay Area as champions. Yeah. That was a moment just walking through like, man, there's people here from Polk County, St. Pete, Sarasota. It's just it's just massive amount of people that I felt this championship represented our Bay Area was an aha moment for me. So getting the ring was you know, symbolic because that ring symbolizes that. But the Super Bowl memory for me, honestly, is the parade going through downtown because that's when I honestly felt, Hit you. man, this community waited a long time to come out and support us doing this. And our team is the one that did it. That, that was the aha moment for me. Uh, that'll do it. Special thanks to Derek Brooks. By the way, here's how you can support Derek Brooks Charities. Check out db55.org. He says they friend raise, they don't fundraise. 
And you know you can check out these conversations bi-weekly we put them together. Until next time, have a good one.